Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I, I'm still amazed at the amount of heart-centered leaders I am meeting, being introduced to around the globe. And the gentleman today, I had a great time researching him and it was all I could do to get my questions down to stay within about 30 minutes for the podcast. So today I want to introduce you to David Amarine. David has 44 years of experience in the nuclear industry. He began his career in the U.S. Navy after graduating from the United States Naval Academy, where he obtained a master's in management science from the Naval Postgraduate School while in the Navy. After leaving the Navy, David was a teaching assistant at Oregon State University while working on his PhD in nuclear engineering before joining Westinghouse at the Department of Energy at the Hanford site. David has moved on to have various roles and become a heart-centered leader, and I'd like to welcome him to the show. So David, I'm so happy to be spending some time with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to our talk. You have had so many significant executive roles that I, I just couldn't, I had to narrow down my questions. I only asked four, but I could have easily had 54 for you. So I'm going to jump right in. I know that you have uh, held various titles on executives and worked with lots of different teams and you were recommended to be on the show by a colleague as a heart-centered leader. So my first question, I wanna talk about the principles of scientific management. And I know there's the element of science, uh, harmony, cooperation, and really developing each and every person to their greatest efficiency. So my question for you, David, is if you think back to your own upbringing, education and work experience what transferable skills do you feel that you've learned along the way that provided you to have and take an interest in management science well i, I was uh very fortunate first of all uh, i grew up in a small city city in uh ohio and at that time um the um, education system in Ohio is recognized as one of the best in the country. And uh, Sandusky, Ohio is one of the best in Ohio. So I had a uh, firm footing there along with the uh, discipline and encouragement uh, that my parents guided me with. And then from there, I went to the Naval Academy. And then, uh, as you mentioned, I was in the Nuclear Navy and the Submarine Force. Uh, after the academy and, and got various uh, degrees in education along the way, including a, a, a business degree from Harvard, as well as uh, the management science degree that you mentioned. And, uh, but, but those early experiences at the Naval Academy and, and in the submarine force uh, helped along with my education to set a foundation that served me well then when I went into the nuclear industry. And, in the nuclear industry, I started actually, um, after I left Oregon State that you mentioned, uh, as an operator and uh, rose uh, to the executive ranks over the 
45 year, uh, 44 year career. And uh, my last job uh, was as president of nuclear fuel services, which is the sole provider for nuclear fuel for the United States Navy submarines and aircraft carriers. And it was a culmination of me to um, be able to apply those uh, leadership skills that I learned some, quite frankly, by making mistakes and others uh, from the successes that I had. And as it turned out, uh, my career in the nuclear industry um, sort of evolved to one as a, a troubleshooter. If there was a, a nuclear project in the Department of Energy complex or a, a shutdown nuclear power plant for operational or management difficulties, uh, in the nuclear industry, um, I was brought in eight different times as a member of the new leadership team or the new leader to help uh, recover those facilities from the issues that they had had. So I, I hope that answers your question to some extent anyhow. Absolutely. And I, I'm sure, I mean, we only have a half an hour, but I'm sure there's so many transferable skills from all the different environments and sectors and, and education and, and even what you learned being on two naval submarines. So you've just had an incredible career. So my next question is, what imperfections have you brought to your leadership roles that you've had so far? Imperfections? imperfections hence the name of the podcast it's my favorite word yeah well uh, i think the the um thing that i had to learn particularly trans in the uh transit from the navy to civilian uh work environment uh is the treatment of people to establish trust and my imperfection in the beginning was from the Naval Academy, uh, then coming uh, into the Navy and learning to um, first deal with uh, enlisted men who were under my command and, and learning to treat them with respect. And, um, and the, the greatest thing that I had to learn uh, or communication skills, and in particular, the ability to listen and to listen actively. And in doing that, you, you, you've got to really focus on what the person is saying to you, what they're communicating to you, um, and, and you can't be thinking about what you're going to say in rebuttal or in response, but what they're saying is, uh, is important to them. Therefore, it should be important to you. And that's a skill that I, I feel that I, I honed um, over the course of my career, and I think I got better and better at it. So at, at first, quite frankly, um, I don't think I was nearly as good as I was by the time my career uh, ended. Well, you've just segued beautifully into my next topic. And I know when people think about any type of training or career in the military, I know the first thing most people think of is the technical skills. And you just alluded and talked a little bit about soft skills. So when we think about soft skills, specifically communication skills, you talked about actively listening, flexibility, teamwork, integrity, 
planning skills, problem solving. They all fall under the umbrella of, of technical skills, but soft skills are right aligned with them. So I'm going to go out on a limb because you just said that these have all attributed to you becoming a heart-centered leader. But on a cognitive level, you've really well honed what we call in the neuroscience world, executive functioning. So share with the listeners the art of how you learned and executed the balance of your soft skills, David, as well as your technical skills to become that executive heart-centered leader. Well, you know, the first thing that happens, and particularly in these situations, these eight different uh, recoveries that I mentioned, um, is you have to establish trust. And uh, those situations I was brought into, since they were in some degree of extremis, uh, trust was at a, uh, at a very low ebb, if you will. So how do you go about establishing trust? And what I found is uh, the leader has to be present and has to be accessible. Uh, you have to be into the workplace uh, and, and, and you have to establish what your values are and communicate those values over and over in any possible venue that you might have, whether that's one-on-one -on -one at a person's workstation, whether that's in the laboratory, out in the plant, in the engineering cubicle, it doesn't matter. Any opportunity you have to reinforce by communication the values and expectations you, you have. And then what you need to do is uh, look for opportunities to uh, reward uh, people who reflect those values in, in the way that they execute their work. And by reward, I, it might be just as simple as a thank you. What I've often said to people um, that the three most powerful things a leader can say are, I am sorry, I was wrong, and thank you. Now, if you're saying the first two, uh, too often, uh, you need to reevaluate just what you're doing and how you're going about your business. But you can never say thank you enough. The other thing I said is about establishing values. You need what was very important to me, and I think this applies to really any industry, but particularly ones that, um, you know, although low probability have high consequence if things go wrong. And, and that can be in the nuclear industry, it can be in oil refineries, it uh, can be in the, in the Navy and so forth. Um, you need to establish what your workplace priorities are. And, and for me, I try to always express things in four, uh, four different um, very concise statements. And, and the workplace priorities in order of importance were safety, quality, schedule, and cost. And then in addition to that, I'd like to get something that people could hang on to as a, how do you go about executing those things? And, and so I would tell them the, the parameters I'm looking for are, and I expect you to exhibit, and hopefully I exhibit as, a, as an example, are personal accountability, procedure compliance, technical inquisitiveness, and finally, 
a willingness to stop when you are unsure uh, about where you are and what direction you're heading in. And, and what I emphasize to my management teams from the executives down to the first line managers, and by the way, in any organization, that first line manager is the most critical uh, member of the management team, in my opinion, because he or she is where the rubber hits the road. So I, I, I wanted people to be able to express those priorities, safety, quality, schedule, and cost, and those uh, what I called conduct of business attributes, personal accountability, procedure compliance, technical inquisitiveness, and a willingness to stop in their own words. I could tell them what I meant, and I, I would do that, like I said, one-on-one uh, -on -one or in small group meetings, or uh, I would always, wherever I uh, was um, uh, the member of the leadership team or the leader, I would uh, once a quarter get all the employees together. And sometimes when you know I was managing like the Savannah River site with 26,000 people, that's easier said than done. Uh, but it's very important to, to have those kind of uh, venues on some periodicity, for me it was once a quarter, to let everybody know how we're doing and, uh, and to solicit feedback in those venues on how am I doing uh, as your leader. And then to act on that. Uh, you can't, uh, for example, take a survey and have people take the time to fill out that survey if you don't then publish the results and act on the results. If you're not willing, if you're not committed to do that, then you shouldn't do the survey in the first place because it just becomes a point of frustration. So that's as, about as succinctly a, 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 as I can answer, or at least I hope I've answered the question you just asked. Oh, indeed. And I, I think what you've just reiterated, David, is really talking about uh, the key elements of culture change. And I know in the presentation uh, that you sent to me that you've delivered many, many times, you've talked about all that. And, and you talk about a thought that if we are not getting better, then we are bound to go in the opposite direction. And I'm always intrigued when I speak to leaders every week around the globe who really lead with those heart-centered traits. There has to be that willingness to, like you said, have that awareness, that self-audit of what you're saying. And if you are saying sorry and wrong versus thank you, there needs to be a little bit of some internal self-auditing reflection to be done there. So very, very good point. And I always say this every week, it seems, when I'm interviewing leaders, is common sense isn't always common practice, is it? Well, yeah, that's, that's you're absolutely correct. And, and I think the one thing that I uh, thought I would want to get across is uh, back to that ability to listen. And, and as I said, those statements that I am sorry or I was wrong, um, show uh, what I always used to say is that, you know, um, humility is a much better servant of a leader than arrogance. And so if you can show that you, you're human, you have humility, you're not afraid to say you're sorry or that you were wrong, um, it goes a long way towards establishing that trust that I was talking about earlier. 
Well, and I fully agree with you. And, and I know I've heard you say this and I've had other leaders say it is that trust is hard to win, but very easy to lose. So it is a heart centered leadership trait that needs to be demonstrated because the, the values that you model as a leader help those work for you and, and do the best work that, that they can if you're leading with, with such traits. So I, I'm fully agreeing with you there, David. Now, one of your management strategies that you've talked about uh, in, in the work that you gave me to review was participative management, and I love this. Can you explain to the listeners the benefit of this strategy and management based on all the experience you've had with people and managing complex situations? Yeah, uh, and I'm really glad that you asked that question. I, I want to I start by setting the stage. Over my 45-year uh, career, um, I have seen um, acceptable management move along a continuum. A continuum which on one end um, basically has the military style of leadership, which is important. I mean, you can't take a vote when it's time to lead the foxhole. And, and to the other end, um, where you have uh, uh, basically uh, a management style that uh, invites everybody, uh, uh, what I um, call sometimes it turns into group growth. So, uh, at the same time, I've seen employee empowerment increase from over those 40, 45 years from uh, a little to a lot. Now, both of those movements along the continuum uh, are good, but if they're taken too far to an extreme, then uh, they, they can turn into not being so good. And so somewhere along that, that, that continuum is what I call, and what I hope I practice, participative management. So, so what is participative management? It's, it's a leadership and, and uh, a, um, an approach to where the leader uh, or the manager genuinely solicits input and sincere, sincerely considers that input uh, when you get to points of decision uh, where you have to decide how you're going to go about something. And However, what's really important is once he or she has dialed in that information to the extent that he or she, and this the leader or the manager thinks is necessary, then a decision is made. That leader or that manager makes a decision and the group moves forward. Now, if there's success, it's shared all around. But if there's failure, if it turns out that it didn't work out how you had hoped, the leader accepts full responsibility without any finger pointing. And then what the organization does is they regroup around lessons learned from, from how things turned out. In fact, I've recommended to the state of Ohio, for example, that they do exactly that with how we in the state of Ohio have responded to this COVID. Basically, you know, how, what, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? what equipment was available, what equipment wasn't available, what communications worked well, what communications did not work well, and so forth. And that's what I mean by regrouping around lessons learned when things don't turn out exactly as you had planned or hoped. Well, and what is a leader 
to do in those circumstances. And it's such a good point. And I look at where we are now with the COVID-19 global pandemic. And I've had this conversation repeatedly with leaders like yourself on the podcast. And it's not like we had a crisis management file that we can just go and grab and say, okay, what did we do last time? And I'm, I'm being facetious with my comments here, but I have been really impressed with the heart-centered leader that leaders that I have met and interviewed on the podcast so far. And it's difficult to manage complex situations, but I think you just alluded that one of the best strategies is to have participative management. So thank you for sharing and framing that for us. And I like to end the podcast, David, with what I call the Fab Four. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out of your science management element, and I'm going to ask you a question, and it's whatever's sitting on the top of your mind is the answer. How does that sound? Okay. Could I mention one quick thing, Deb, first? Absolutely. And, and that's one thing that goes along with that participative management that is so very, very, very important is establishment of what is called a safety conscious work environment. And, and, and basically, that's an environment where any employee can bring up any issue without fear of retaliation, and that he, he or she will have confidence that that concern will be addressed fairly and in a timely manner. Now, sometimes timely is in the eye of the beholder, but nonetheless. And they have full confidence the issue will be assessed on its own merit without ascribing motive. So that safety conscious work environment is, is a very important thing for a leader to establish and to nurture continuously. And I talk about that, uh, I talk about all these things that we're mentioning in my book, Push It to Move It. And I was um, encouraged to write that book by colleagues in the nuclear industry who knew I had been in those positions uh, as a troubleshooter that I mentioned earlier. So I wanted, I thought I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a very, very important attribute of the heart-centered leadership, and that's a safety-conscious work environment. Absolutely, and, and I know it's the number one thing that you listed for workplace priorities, so thank you for that, and thank you for mentioning your book. I was going to share that with the listeners, and we will have the link uh, to your book in the episode description. So let me get to my, my fab four questions here. So my first question, David, is what inspires you? What inspired me? Uh, well, first of all, the thing that inspired me um, that led to the technical career was an interest in math and science. And, and that started with my high school teachers. I was very fortunate, as I said earlier, to go through uh, the Ohio school system at the time I did. And, and it really gave me an appreciation uh, for those kinds of endeavors, which led me to um, go into the uh, nuclear power. And then that in turn led to uh, opportunity to be a manager and a leader uh, in these uh, complex uh, situations. My next question is, what was something taught to you as a young boy that made a lasting impression on who you are today? Well, uh, I guess as a young boy, I would have to turn to uh, my father. And my dad was a veterinarian, and it was very interesting. He had both small 
animal and large animal practice there in rural Ohio. And uh, one of the things that uh, he would mention to me uh, frequently when he would give me tasks to do, and that is, hey, the job's not done until the tools are cleaned and put away. And uh, so that stayed with me. And uh, I'm sure there were people who worked for me who uh, uh, received that same direction. Oh, that's, that's where your strong work ethic served you well when you, when you entered into uh, the military. So isn't that interesting? My next question is, what do you want your legacy to be, David? I, I hope that my legacy is that uh, I made a difference. I made a difference in people's lives and uh, that the, the leadership, people who worked under me um, came away from those work experiences feeling good about themselves and feeling good about what we accomplished. When I left the Defense Waste Processing Facility in my last all hands meeting, which was uh, about two to 2,000 people or so, I told them that, you know, we, we, we had put the largest vitrification plant in the world. That's a plant that immobilizes highly radioactive waste in borosilica glass. And, and we brought that plant online and, and we, we were young and old, male and female, black and white, Muslim and Jew. Uh, and yet we were focused on a single goal and we demonstrated what is the best about America. And I would offer probably the same for Canada that when you, when you work together and you achieve something, a synergy that would not be otherwise achieved if you didn't support each other's teammates, that's the best that people could do. And I hope my legacy is that I created that, um, that atmosphere uh, in, in the work environments I was in over and over. I want that to be my legacy. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And it just reiterates why I wanted to have you on the podcast today, because you are a heart centered leader. And I definitely think that is going to be your legacy for all the work that you have done. My last question is you must have a bucket list. And what's next on it that you're going to check off and achieve? Well, I've had uh, on my bucket list, uh, two trips. One was to Ireland and the other was to the Middle East. In the Middle East, uh, I was in uh, Israel, Turkey, and Egypt. And um, that was a very, very thought-provoking uh, trip. And right now I'm interested in what can I do to help my community, uh, and particularly with uh, the crises that we're going through right now. But when all of that dust settles, uh, I've got a, 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 the only state in the union I haven't been in is Alaska. And so that's on my bucket list to do. And uh, once that's accomplished, uh, then I'm just gonna focus on helping my community. Well, that is a beautiful, beautiful bucket list. And I'm sure you're gonna achieve it. David, I want to thank you for spending time with me today. I want to thank you for bringing your decades of experience on the podcast and sharing of your heart and giving us a little glimpse into your life and your story, and more importantly, your expertise. 
And I just want to say that I wish you all the best. And I hope that uh, you get to check those things off on your bucket list really soon. <laughs> Deb, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be here. And, and um, I hope our conversation has met your expectations. Absolutely. I like to leave my podcast with what I call kind of five elements that I think everyone should revisit and, and hopefully practice and be purposeful every day. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and always be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us.